and welcome to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and today we are sitting down with professional ballet dancer Catherine Morgan. This is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody that has had a significant life change. Some people call them pivots. I call them redirections. That's why the show is called Redirected. Today is an absolute treat. Again, we sit down with Catherine Morgan, and she tells her story of how she went from exploding into the ballet scene to ultimately having to retire at a young age, far before she ever thought she'd have to retire because of an illness that she had. And then she walks us through how she got into YouTube and built this awesome online community, and ultimately shares some news at the end of the episode that you won't want to miss. Catherine has an awesome story. She has some great words of advice. And I can't wait for you to hear this one with Catherine Morgan. Catherine, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Andrew? I'm so good. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. I want to start off here by talking about your hometown, which I believe is Mobile, Alabama. Am I saying it right? It is. Mobile? It is. Yes. I've been down there one time and it's a good spot. I like Mobile. Yeah. It's very old South. People are great up and coming with stuff now, but uh, yeah, I grew up in the South. I'm a Southern girl. Lost the accent, but it comes back now and again. <laughs> if I need. I'm so surprised you don't have an accent because everybody else I've met from Mobile has super thick Southern accent. Oh yes, well I can put it on, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it comes. It does come out, especially if I've gone back and visited family. I'll come back up to New York, and now of course going to Miami, and people are like, "Oh, you've been in the South." <laughs> There it is. That's so funny. I was down there for the senior bowl where like the college prospects, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I have actually, believe it or not, when I was 13, I performed at the senior bowl. No way. I did. Yep. At halftime. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it's like, it's, Mobile's got it going on. I like it down there. They do. They really do. That's funny. So I would love for you to kind of just tell us the story of your upbringing. I hear you were put in gymnastics as a two-year-old. Is that right? I was. I think I started dancing, first of all, at three. But during that time, during those early dancing years, my parents kind of wanted to try out everything. Let's make sure this is what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And then I was put in gymnastics at three, four, you know, that kind of baby gymnastics. I'm sure you of all people know <laughs> what that is yeah. with Sean, but I couldn't do it. I needed the movement. I needed the music. I needed the kind of lyrical dance aspect, but I did try gymnastics and I have zero upper body strength. So that did not work. <laughs> at all. But yeah, I started dancing when I was three and at eight, it's what I, and I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. So what made you get to that point as an eight year old? I believe just, I mean, it's after trying everything, it's all I wanted to do. It's the only thing I liked. And then we went to New York for Thanksgiving as you do. And we saw New York city ballets, the Nutcracker. And I remember very vividly walking out of there going, I'm going to be up there one day. That's me. I'm going to do that. And my parents went, okay, you know, (laughs) great. Sure. Go for it. And I ended up there. So for me, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I cannot remember a time when I wanted to do anything else. Wow. Yeah. Dreams do come true, huh? They do come true. They do. Is there like a ballet school or something? What's the best way that you can become a tier A ballet dancer? Well, there are different schools everywhere. I mean, big cities have very good schools. But my path was at, I grew up in Alabama, danced in Alabama very seriously. And there was a good school there, but it wasn't one of the big training facilities. Mm -hmm. And my goal was always New York City Ballet. And the only way you can get into New York City Ballet, it's the only ballet company like this, but you have to be a student of their school, which is the School of American Ballet. So I spent a couple of summers at that school training on scholarship. And then when I was 15, spending the summer there, they asked me to stay for the winter term. 
And basically it's like ballet school is like normal school, except you do ballet classes all day long. So I actually got my high school diploma online and went to ballet school all day long where we had various classes of your basic technique. And then you learn various ballets and you work on your artistry. They even had music classes, but it was all ballet based. So that's probably one of the biggest schools in the country is School of American Ballet. But there's a really great school in San Francisco and Seattle and Miami. And so they have them everywhere. But my goal was New York. So that's where I went. And then at 17, I was hired by New York City Ballet. Wow. And I was only actually a junior in high school at the time. So I did my senior year of high school and danced full-time at New York City Ballet for my (laughs) senior year. That was interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, working six days a week, 10-hour days, dancing and trying to get a high school diploma. That was interesting. But if it wasn't for my father going, you will finish high school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it it was a dream there. It truly was. So I'm happy to say that I was thinking back through all my ballet knowledge, just my extensive archive of ballet knowledge, which is about three facts, but you're my second ballet friend. Wow. And I had another friend who I think Kansas City has like a decent ballet. They do. They do. And then Nashville, I think, has an up and cut. They, they do. have Kansas one at City least. Ballet and Nashville Ballet. Yes. Gotcha. Very cool. Yes. I'm yeah. curious about the ballet culture because it's such, it's like an ancient art, it seems like. Yeah. And it's so traditional. Almost gymnastics has these kind of connotations with Eastern Europe. And, you know, that's kind of where I was originated from. What is the ballet culture in your word? Well, ballet started in France a long, long, long time ago in the French courts. And it was the reason I think it has that sort of stereotypical snooty vibe to it and very kind of elitist mentality. And it's one of the reasons we carry ourselves very straight up and down is because it was for the elite class. It was for the rich society and lots of jewels, lots of, you know, big feather headpieces. And so gradually over the years, it kind of became this art form. They added the point shoes and it kind of took off in Russia, especially with Tchaikovsky's music of his three famous ballets, Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake and Nutcracker. So it's actually the biggest in Russia, even though it started in France. And so it's not a dying art form because we are moving with the times. But I think a lot of people don't know how to relate to it because there's no dialogue. Because, you know, I've had many people come to the ballet and and literally sit there and go, when are they going to start speaking? You know, because you just don't, as a ballet dancer, you don't. We talk all in mime, which is just hand movements and body gestures. And so it is a bit of an art form where people don't quite understand. You know, everybody understands music and singing. Everybody understands theater when they can go to a play and know what's going on by the script, the dialogue, and movies. But ballet is one of those things that a lot of people don't get, or they have a view of it and they think it's just pink tutus and tiaras. And they think, well, it's too girly. But I probably, in as many years as I've been dancing, only have worn a pink tutu on stage maybe five times. <laughs> so it's not as frilly as everybody thinks. But it's a very hard art form. I mean, it is incredibly physical. And the goal of ballet is to make it look easy, you know, just like any other sport is to make it look easy. But for us, we have to look almost, in some ballets, you have to look ethereal. You have to look like it's nothing. You know, you're weightless. And that's the tricky bit. And I do think men in ballet get a bad, bad rap. They get, oh, they're all gay. Oh, they're all feminine. They're not. There are many, many masculine men, many gay men. We have all different kinds of men. And they have to be even stronger than we do because they have to lift, dead press us, and make it look effortless. They have to jump. They have to turn. So it's an incredibly physical art form. But I don't think a lot of people even realize it because we have to make it look easy. Hmm. So if you think it's easy, then we're doing our job. I have so many questions that you just made me want to ask. 
first of all, what is the stereotypical ballet dancer look like? Is it a diverse, like everybody comes from different backgrounds? Ballet was not something as a central Indiana guy. And I'm actually surprised from like you from Mobile just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like ingrained in the culture that uh, you're not at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's football land down there, you know, Alabama, Auburn, the whole thing. And yeah. no, the typical, I mean, the very stereotypical dancer is thin, long arms, long legs. Mm-hmm long neck but actually there are so many different body types in ballet nowadays we're getting away from that stick thin you know waif looking you because of the choreography itself is changing you know dancers aren't just standing there looking pretty anymore things are getting harder things are getting more athletics and the choreographers are pushing dancers now doing things that even 10 years ago people couldn't do so you have to be more fit and athletic now and the bodies are changing one of the big stereotypes of ballet dancers is that we don't eat. But I can honestly tell you we eat all the time <laughs> because when you dance 10 hours a day, you have to eat. You can't, it's like, again, it's like being an Olympian. You have to eat. The problem is the balance of trying to be thin and still getting enough energy to dance is what some people struggle with. But I would say for the women, especially long arms, long legs, long feet, long neck. Men, it varies. It depends on the kind of dancer you are. For the boys, actually, the better, quote, dancers and the tricksters are short, compact guys. So they can get off the floor easier. They can jump easier. But the better partners, the guys who lift the best, the guys who do kind of the more classical roles the best are actually taller. They're about six feet. So they can do all of the partnering with the women. So for the guys, there's definitely those two distinct body types. You're either the short, compact little guy or you're big and long and tall and can partner. Hmm. To those people who don't get ballet, mm-hmm. how do you sell ballet to them? Like, why is it beautiful to you? To me, it's beautiful. And one of the reasons I started dancing was the music. I always wanted to become the music, if that makes sense. Like, how yes. do I express myself to the music? And the only way I knew how was by dancing. And, you know, they say with theater, people, start to sing when words no longer are enough and for us it's people dance when singing isn't enough like ballet and dance can take that emotion even further and for people who have never seen ballet I always say it depends your first ballet has to be a certain one like I would never bring somebody to Sleeping Beauty if they've never seen ballet before because it's three hours and incredibly long and can get incredibly boring (laughs) so you know, you've never seen ballet, I would probably suggest a more contemporary evening where there's all different kinds of pieces on the program, because we will do that. There'll be like, you know, a 45 minute piece, and then a completely different 30 minute piece, and then just a whole different evening. So you're not getting the same thing all night, or a ballet that they know, like a story ballet, like Romeo and Juliet. Everybody knows, even if you don't know the specifics of Romeo and Juliet, you know, they fall in love, they die, like you'll be fine. (laughs) So It just depends on who it is and what they want to see. But I think you have to get past the thought that it's just pink and sparkly and frilly because it's so much more than that. And that's that stereotype that's hard for people to get their head around. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Is New York City the spot to watch ballet? It's one of them. I mean, there are many great companies. There's a beautiful company in London, the Royal Ballet. Actually, London has several companies. Obviously, it's huge in Russia. Ballet dancers in Russia are like movie stars. It is a totally different culture over there. But in Miami, where I am going to be dancing, it's huge. In Seattle, in San Francisco, there are a lot of great places you can see ballet. But I would say in America, New York is probably the biggest place just because of the culture here, because of Broadway. And we have two huge ballet companies in New York. Gotcha. Last thing, and then we'll get back to your story. I am surprised you've mentioned yourself as an artist several times. And I view ballet dancers as more athletes Mm -hmm. just strictly because of 
the physical portion of it. Right. Is it like your training is insane? Yes, your technique and the art form and going to the music is really impressive, but I feel like you're more of an athlete. It's very true. It's debated. A lot of us consider ourselves artists and athletes. Artists, because you have to have that musicality, you have to have the artistry where you can touch that person sitting there in the audience. It's for me watching, I don't care how many times somebody can turn around or how high they can jump. If they can't do it beautifully, if they can't make me feel something, it's like, okay, this is just pyrotechnics. So for us, what makes it different, which makes us not Olympians, is because we're not competing for medals. We're not seeing who can run the fastest or jump the highest. For us, it's about telling the story. It's also an art form. So that's why there's this fine balance of, are you an artist? Are you an athlete? You're both. Because you're right, our training, we are athletes. It's actually, I don't realize how crazy it is until I have to explain it to someone else. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. But for us, it's both. Well, thank you for your patience and explaining it to me. It does seem like there's some aspect of acting in there as well with the miming and conveying emotions. Right. I mean, especially if you do a story ballet. Obviously, there are many pieces where there is no story. It's just dance. But when you do a role, which is the roles that I'm best at, are the acting ones like Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. You have to convey the character to the audience without ever saying a word. Wow. So it's all about facial expression. It's all about body and eyes because you can't speak. So there's a huge element of acting in ballet. Wow. Yeah. And reaching the people up in the balcony in the cheap seats. You know, they have to have just as good of a performance for them as the people up close. Are there different buckets to your training? So you have like the physical aspect and you have like weightlifting and then acting class. How do you go about getting better and improving? For us, it's a lot. I mean, we have our typical every day we still train. We call it technique class where it's an hour and a half of us doing all of our exercises. You start slowly at the bar and you hold on to the bar and you warm up and then you build up to turns, you build up to jumps. And that's solely physical. We also have coaches who, when we're working on a ballet, will coach us artistically with the feeling, the acting, the emotion. In ballet school, we had variations class. It was called where you'd learn excerpts of different pieces, different solos and things to work on performance quality because students don't, you know, they kind of get out on stage and they don't know how to be that artist. So that was a training class. We also had point classes where it's just all about strengthening those feet for the girls. Guys had weightlifting. We also had partnering class when we were little to learn how to do all basic partnering and then you gradually build up. So there are different classes. I mean, it's like any sport, really. Point classes, man, that's something. (laughs) Golly. Miserable. Yeah. Those were my favorite. Yeah. Just tiptoes? Yeah, just constant up and down and working through your feet. I mean, you, I leave with blisters and, you know, but that's how you build up the calluses and eventually then it doesn't hurt. But yeah, point class was... Never my favorite. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So you mentioned that when you're 17, Mm -hmm. your dreams came true to a certain extent and you signed with the New York City Ballet or went to school there. And what was that? Like 2006-ish? 2006. Yeah. I I signed with them. It was a, it's a job. I did school online. So they're an actual professional working company. But yeah, 17. Walk us through that narrative. What was that like? And did it fulfill all your dreams and expectations? It did. I mean, the very, well, the very first rehearsal I had with New York City Ballet, I wiped out, completely missed something and just (laughs) belly flopped. So that got all the nerves out for me, but it was, it was a dream. And you know, when you get into a ballet company, you go back down to the bottom of the totem pole. I mean, you are swan number 17 on the left, you know, you'll stand in the back for a year and learn everything and probably not perform anything. And it's kind of a thankless job. But two weeks into my contract, 
the director came up to me and he said, so one of our principals, which is the highest ranked dancer, she just got injured and she was going to be Juliet in a few weeks and I'd like you to replace her. And I literally did like one of those like, are you talking to me? Are you sure you're talking to me? And I said, okay. And that was my first big break was doing Juliet at 17 as the lowest ranked girl in in the whole company. And that led to more and more roles over time. I mean, I was doing the lead in The Nutcracker, which is a Sugar Plum Fairy. When I was 19, I danced Aurora in The Sleeping Beauty, which is the hardest role in all of ballet at 20. And it was just like everything was just sunny and wonderful. And I thought, well, this is how it should be, you know, just when you think everything is great. And that's when my issues started. During rehearsals, my muscles started to disintegrate. And I would like go up to point and like come down and couldn't balance and couldn't stabilize. And then my hair started falling out. I just remember clumps coming out. And then I started putting on weight, which made no sense. You know, dancing 10 hours a day, six days a week. I ate, but I didn't have time to eat the amount that I was putting on. It just made no sense. And I was so exhausted. And I remember thinking something is wrong. Something is not right. And even my coaches were looking at me like, you know, this is not your typical lazy girl, because I was not lazy. You can't be a lazy dancer. You can't be a lazy athlete. So I thought, okay, something is wrong. So I went to the doctor and it was my thyroid gland that was basically non-functioning. And they said, well, just start medication. You'll be fine. Cut to two years later, when I'm still as big as a house, no hair, no muscles, can't get through the rehearsal day. And I just thought, "I, I can't do this anymore. You know, they kept casting me in things and I would have to back out of them because I would go down to the costume house and try and put the costume on. They couldn't get it closed. So that was humiliating. I couldn't get through the ballets. And it was just, it was like my whole world fell apart. After this glorious entry of all these beautiful roles and them telling me, oh, you're going to be a star one day and just pay your dues and work hard and you'll be fine. And then it all came crashing down. And I thought, well, I can't do this anymore. This is not working. The pressure of being in New York and being ill and it just wasn't working. So I went to my director and I said, I need to just let my contract run out and go get better because I'm not getting better. This has been two years now. So I went, I left New York and went back to my parents' house in Alabama for a little bit just to kind of regroup. And they thought like I did, well, I'll be better in a matter of months and then I'll get back on stage. It'll be great. Three years later, I'm still sick. And it turns out through eight doctors later, because every single doctor I went to thought I was crazy because for a normal person, I looked fine. But for a ballerina, even though I put on 45 pounds, I still looked small. Wow. They thought I was making it up. So the one who I finally went to that believed me and said, we're going to fix this, found that it was an autoimmune illness mm. where your body attacks itself. So it's Hashimoto's, it's called. So no matter how much thyroid medicine I was taking, it was ineffective. Why this took five years to figure out, I couldn't tell you. But once we had that piece of the puzzle, then it started to make sense. A big part of that disease is stress. And I think part of it was them, as wonderful as it was, them throwing all those roles at me that early. So I started to change my diet a little bit just to avoid certain things that mess with your thyroid gland. And I started working on my stress because the stress, while it was good stress, was insane in New York. I mean, it was just insane. So things started to get better, but just weren't quite there. But in the meantime, I was bored as you are when you're sick. I started watching YouTube videos and I realized at that point that there were no dancers on YouTube anywhere for all the beauty gurus and all the yoga gurus and all those people. There were no ballet dancers. 
So I thought, well, I can try this. Let's see if it worked. And it did. And I started making YouTube videos and that's where the career started to shift a little bit. And while I was getting better, I was able to distract myself and feel like I was still relevant because that was part of my problem. When you're that successful and then suddenly you just fall off the face of the earth, you know, the rumors had started. People were like, was she fired? So it was partially a way for me to tell my story and it was also a way for me to stay relevant in the ballet world. So that's when my career started to shift a little bit into YouTube. From being this classically trained ballet dancer into a YouTuber? Mm-hmm. Yeah. YouTube's yeah. great, isn't it? I mean, it's it- amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's essentially free TV. You can reach, if, you, if you're on the internet, if you have a phone, you can reach anybody. And a derivative effect of that is you build these little sub communities. Honestly, like families, like really is people who relate to your story because they're going through what you're going through or know somebody that does. And it's like, it changed my life. I don't know how much you know about my story, but like I was cut from the NFL and here I was. And I want to talk to you more about the stress and how you were able to walk through that. But like I made it to the pros, never had any mental issues and I crumbled Mm -hmm. mentally and I just literally couldn't do what I was brought there to do because something in my mind switched. So I spent like two months just literally hopeless. I didn't know what I was going to do. No team was interested in me. I signed up, you know, I was like doing Uber driving the whole thing. And then I started making YouTube videos. And like, now it's the funnest part about what I do in my day. Aside, you know, like football's great. Like YouTube is just has been so, so great for us. It's amazing. And you can help people. And that was my other reason of doing it is that when I was growing up as a 12, 13, 14 year old ballet dancer, everybody was so secretive about everything. Like, oh, I don't want to even tell you how to tie your point shoes. I don't want to say that. For me, it was a way of, okay, how do I help that 14 year old version of me? What did I want to know at 14? If I could talk to a New York City ballet dancer, what did I want to know? So then I had a whole, my content was there. Mm-hmm. How to tie point shoes, different ballet classes, what they eat, what it takes, the whole thing. And I realized that because I was an experienced professional, I was felt okay about giving this advice. You know, I wasn't a, well, I think this is how it should be. I don't know. You know, I feel like I was legit. But yeah, the stress, the stress in that level of dancing. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable because from the age of 17, you have to be a professional. And it's, right. it's a young career. I want to stop for a second and give a shout out to Himalaya. Himalaya is my favorite app to listen to podcasts on. And not only do they have a truly beautiful interface, they also have great search and discover features to help you find new shows. And then they also have some really creative and unique ways for you to help support creators and interact with those creators. So thank you, Himalaya. Be sure to check them out and follow me if you get the chance. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've ever felt like there is something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has online counseling that is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it is so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you are not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for redirected listeners, you can get 10% off your first month with discount code EAST. That's E-A-S-T. 
So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com forward slash east. You simply fill out a questionnaire that's going to help assess your needs and you get matched with a counselor that you're going to love. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash east and you will get 10% off your first month. Today's episode is also brought to you by Cove. Anyone who's had a migraine knows that they are the absolute worst. And if you've seen any of our YouTube videos lately, you know that Sean has recently been experiencing migraines and they're no fun for her, which means they're no fun for me. But the good news is that now it's a little easier to treat your migraine from the comfort of your own home thanks to Cove. Cove starts out with a simple consultation by a licensed physician. And then the prescription that they determine is best for you is sent directly to your door. After your consultation, your doctor creates and tailors your individual course of treatment. Cove then reaches out a few weeks after to see how you're feeling. Cove breaks down everything you need to know about migraines and migraine treatment. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state you live in will be the one who prescribes your monthly medication and oversees your progress. All migraine medication prescribed by the doctors at Cove is FDA approved. So if you suffer from migraines, the last thing you need is to have to wait to see your doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. And when you use my special link, you'll get your first month of treatment for free. Go to withcove.com east. That's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash E-A-S-T, withcove.com slash East. Have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. I relate to it at my core. It's about this like drummer who goes to the best school and the expectations are so high. And anyway, he has this professor who's like just rides him, gives him the hardest time because he sees potential in him. (laughs) And it ultimately just makes this dude crumble. And I'm like, gosh, it is such a fine line of achieving great things. You have to have people that have high expectations and you need to be in a high stress environment. But how do you not push that line is such a fine balance, you know? It's so true. It's so true because I see all these incredibly talented kids come through the ballet school now. But if you don't have the mental toughness, if you don't have that die hard, like I can do this, they crumble all the time because the teachers stand and go, no, no. Nope. Again. Nope. Not mm. right. No. Nope. Okay. Well, never mind. And you see these like sixteen-year-olds just like dying because I was one of them. And even in in the professional world, the curtain comes down, the ballet master comes back, he's like, "All right, you know that bit and that potted it. Let's do it again." And the minute you know the audience is still applauding, and you have to do it again with curtain down, and you're like, you can't feel your feet. You can't just like, "Can you just tomorrow, please?" But they want it now, so it's tough. What are some ways that you've dealt with that? Is it was stepping away like the only cure for you? Now I can honestly say it was because it, by the time I left the company, because of how sick I was and how awful I felt about myself and the, the self-confidence was zero. I started to hate ballet at that point. I didn't want to dance anymore. I didn't want to even look at myself because to look at yourself in the mirror day in and day out in a leotard is a whole nother thing. Sean would know. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's hard, especially for women. And so by the end of this, I hated ballet, hated it. And it took me stepping away from it and realizing how much I missed it to find that inner confidence again. Because now coming back into professional dancing, I have much more trust in my own technique and my own abilities. And because I was away from it so long, if I have a bad day, it's like, yeah, well, it's all right. It'll be better tomorrow. You know, and it's, it's a whole different mindset this time. And being 30 now too, it's, I'm not that 18 year old who's like, has to go for broke every time and everything has to be perfect. And if one thing's wrong, the whole show's a mess. 
now I have a better sense of, okay, well, that turn didn't go well. Keep going. It'll be fine. You know. Do you think there's any shortcut to get to that point that you're describing right now? Because I'm at that point <sighs> now. Like, It's kind of this hands-off, like it's not an apathy towards your performance. It's like this maturity of realizing that there's other things that matter. And you, yeah. you know, like if you were going to tell 17 year old Catherine, mm-hmm. here are three things that you can get to help you jump that hurdle. Does that exist or? I don't know if it does, honestly. I think yeah. any dancer who's either stepped away from it, been injured or dancers who've had like gone on maternity leave and come back. A lot of women who've had babies and come back, then they realize, oh, there's something more important than myself. I think until you've gone through something, until you've had to deal with that injury or the illness or whatnot, I don't think you can get there. Because knowing myself, I could have talked to 17-year-old Catherine until I was blue in the face. I think I would have said, no, no, it has to be perfect. No, I don't think there's a way you can shortcut it. I really don't. Do you speak a lot on body image? A ton. You do? A ton. What's your message? It's so hard. I just, one of the things with these young girls is they want to be thin so badly. And I actually think it's worse now because of Instagram and social media. And I'm so happy it did not exist when I was younger. As much as I love it and as much as a part of my career now, these kids, they get obsessed with these Instagram pictures and, you know, she's tiny and thin and my feet have to look like this. They put so much pressure on themselves that they forget there is life outside of ballet. And that's one thing I learned. When ballet was taken away from me, I had put so much stock into it that once it was gone, I didn't know what to do. I literally had no life. So I remind them all the time, you remember, you're not going to dance forever. You can't ruin your bodies. You know, nothing is worth starving yourself for. Directors are not going to want starving dancers because you're going to get injured. You could blow a knee out at 17 and be done. You know, it's hard. And then if for women, especially if you want to have children later, you know, you could ruin your whole reproductive system if you starve yourself and then yeah. you're going to regret that. Yeah. So I try and have a healthy approach just to say, you know, remember these pictures on Instagram were photoshopped. A lot yeah. of them are photoshopped. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We can all edit through Facetune and all those apps, you know. Yeah. So it's so important. I try, my message is health over skinny. I really try and promote health over thinness. It's so important. Because it's so important. And it's so hard too, because again, 17 year old me, all I wanted to be was thin. Yeah. You know, it's hard. I feel like you're in such a unique position to talk about that too, because from uh, innocent or from an outsider's viewpoint, in the perspective of ballet in the media and movies and how it's portrayed is like, I mean, it seems like such a cutthroat culture. Yeah. And that being one of like the toughest areas where people get critiqued. Yeah, it could just be. So hats off to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It is cutthroat. I mean, some things are taken a little too far, but it's still all very true. Right. With how it's portrayed. Yeah. One thing you talked about and I want to revisit is there's like this emotional toll you go through. I can't imagine what it was like for you to get this feedback from doctors saying like, Mm -hmm. we don't know what you're talking about. You don't have this illness or we don't know why you have it, whatever they're saying to you. And then going to your family or your friends in New York and kind of being empty handed when they ask you, Hey, how's ballet going? You know what I'm saying? That that for me with football, it's like when that's because you're in a career as well, that's so highly publicized and and it's in the public eye and, and people know what's going on. So when they ask you, How's ballet? Oh, it's so true. (laughs) Dagger. 
Yeah. And this, I mean, even going to the whole thing of telling people that I was leaving New York city ballet, why are you leaving New York city? But well, mm. you know, and then having to explain and the whole thing, it's so hard. And then looking at these doctors, one even came into, I'll never forget this. He came into the room and he didn't even look at me. He like sat with his back towards me asking me questions. Wow. And I just thought really, because you know, they're used to seeing these very quote normal people who are not professional athletes who are many of them are obese and that to them is overweight you know not a ballerina who's put on 45 pounds for no reason right so yeah they did not take me seriously they thought i was crazy yeah why did you move back to new york city after going back home because again that's another like emotionally that'd be difficult to be in this place and you're used to having the schedule of going to practice and whatever and yeah How was it moving back? It was good for me to move back because I went through a rough, so long story short, I did the YouTube. It led to many, many other projects that I have. At a certain point, I got married and that did not work out. I completely had my heart broken, blindsided, whole mess. And so after that experience, because of how traumatic that was, I thought, well, I need to do something now for me. I need to figure out what would make me fulfilled again. Because when you've been that led down a path and then lied to for that long and then, you know, so I thought, well, I'm going to move to New York back. I haven't been in a company in seven years. So I was not in shape for those seven years, but finally things started to happen and my body had healed itself. The illness kind of just worked itself out. One of those autoimmune illnesses, I still have to watch it, but it, once I can maintain it and be aware of things, it's fine. So I started to get back in shape and I thought, well, New York is the place for all the training because here is where the teachers will crack down on you and, you know, nope, again. So I thought New York is the place to be. So I just moved up here for me. I was making an income on the YouTube and all the other side projects that I have. And so it worked out. And through being here, I got back into full dancing shape. And in February of this year, I contacted Miami City Ballet because I know the director. And it's a beautiful company, incredible repertoire, great dancers, top five in the country. And I said, I don't know if you have any spots. I don't know what's happening with you, but I'd love to join the company if possible. She said, great, come down for a few days. So I did in February. And at the end of my time there, she said, you know, you're absolutely extraordinary. We're in the middle of budget. I'll get back to you. We'd love to have you if we can. I said, great. So April 1st, April Fool's Day, she calls, so I was a little like, is this a joke? She calls me up. She says, I'd love to offer you a soloist contract with us. Love for you to. What? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I was just like, oh my goodness. And it's been seven years, which is a huge chunk of time for any athlete. That's basically a lifetime. So as of April, I mean, I already have been down to Miami and done a few weeks with them. And that's why I'm moving on Saturday down to Miami to uh, join Miami City Ballet for the solo Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a story, Catherine. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. I will say during those seven years, those seven years were not fun. A lot, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of turmoil, a lot of looking at yourself going, what is happening to me? But now being on the other side of it, um, it's like, yeah, what a great story, you know, but going through it, it was rough, but I'm grateful for every single moment of it because it makes now rejoining a company that much more special. Because now, like we said earlier, now I appreciate it so much more. Now the little things that bothered me and having to be perfect all the time, it doesn't matter anymore. And now I'm actually enjoying it. I think part of my problem at New York City Ballet, because I was so young, thrown in the deep end, have to be perfect. As much as I love ballet, I didn't enjoy it half the time. Mm. I'd get off stage and go, okay, was it good? I don't know. And instead of getting off stage going, wow, that was fun. It was, please like me, you know. 
So now, now I have a whole different approach to it. It's so cool because when you get to that point, your performance mm-hmm. improves a lot yes. of times. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. just, it, it shows through whatever you're doing, your passion for it and your enjoyment of it. And like, I'm so excited for you. Thank you. When can yeah. we come see you? We start performances in October. Oh my so. gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We perform all year too. So just let me know <laughs> anytime. Wow. Advice to younger ballet dancers up and coming? My biggest advice to, and this is for anybody, is that everybody's path is different. Because one of the problems with being on YouTube is that I will say, oh, you know, I danced Juliet at 17. So I have kids that will literally write me and say, I haven't danced Juliet by 17. Am I going to fail? And I'm like, okay, Hmm. you can't compare what I did to what you're doing. Because at 21, I got sick and left. So you maybe don't want my path, even though I danced Juliet at 17. You're not going to necessarily want my path. Everybody's different. Some dancers did roles earlier than I did. Some dancers took 10 years to get a big role. So you have to remember that whatever path you're on is the right one. You know, everything happens for a reason. And so your path is yours. And don't compare because you'll make yourself miserable. If all you do is compare, you won't actually enjoy your own career. Preach. I love that. I just saw a Teresa quote today that says, I can do some things that you can't and you can do some things that I can't Mm -hmm. together. We can do great things. Yes. And I just, I just love that concept of like, Hey, you don't have to be good at everything. Don't put that stress on you. Don't do it. But you are good at something. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, even within the ballet realm, there are roles that I'm really great at and roles that are not. I am not the pyrotechnic dancer. I can't do 80 million turns and jump and spin and turn on my head and the whole thing. But I'm really good at the lyrical and the dramatic and the acting. And that's the other thing I tell dancers all the time. Find what you're good at. You know, it's like doctors. Not every doctor is a specialist in everything. You've got your heart surgeons. You've got your internists. You've got your endocrinologists. They all don't do everything for a reason. Yeah. So you have to find what you're good at. There's always going to be somebody that can turn more and jump higher and, you know, get their leg like here. So you have to figure out what you're good at. Have you actually been able to, have you seen somebody that's gotten their leg that high? Yeah. They're freaks of nature. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) It's like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's crazy. Typically those people, I'm like, go do rhythmic gymnastics. (laughs) If you can do like this, you know, go do rhythmic gymnastics. Have you gotten any pushback because ballet is so traditional? Mm -hmm. Got any pushback from all this social media stuff that you've been doing? A little bit at the beginning. A lot of people thought, oh, you need to keep ballet mysterious and it's this you know, special art and we have to keep the curtain closed. And then actually people have realized that, you know what, as old of an art as it is, we have to change with the times. We have to open the curtain literally and show people because otherwise it's a dying art and people aren't going to get it. And so now ballet people and companies are getting their own YouTube channels and getting their own Instagram accounts and trying to bring more audiences in because that's the only way we can keep it alive. You know, we're not on broadcast on national television. So at first, a lot of people thought I was crazy. They really did. And now they're, they're like, oh, you know, I really, I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I Took you long it. enough. <laughs> yeah. Even my own mother, literally two weeks ago, she didn't get it. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. What would be really fun? is if we did a collab, Catherine, you, me, yes. and Sean, where you're teaching us ballet. Oh, I would, would love be, that. That would be a riot. We might have to ask that would be the Instagram. Okay. What other side projects do you got going on? You mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah, I teach a lot. I go and teach younger dancers all the time. My whole summer is teaching. I have a scholarship for young dancers to hopefully help them with their training. Wow. I have a subscription box 
for dancers, you know, like the beauty ones or the pet ones. I have one for dancers. Nice. It's seasonal. I write a column for one of the dance magazines, Dance Spirit Magazine. I'm sure I have something else. I just can't think of it right now. Oh, I um, represent one of the points you burn. Podcast, right? Podcast, yes, I do. I do. I've taken a hiatus from that, but I do have a podcast. I work for one of the point shoe brands and wear their shoes and go out and fit and meet and greet dancers. So yeah, I have a lot of incredible things that have really stemmed from not just the dancing career, but from YouTube, because I have kids who even have said to me, you know, I didn't know who you were when you were New York City Ballet. I only know you from YouTube. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, that's been great. What goals do you have now with so many exciting things? What are your goals? For me now, especially getting back into professional, a professional company is to just dance for as long as I can. It's not a long career. You know, if you make it till you're 40, it's a huge deal. So for me right now, the goal is to just get back into the dancing, dance as many roles as I can and enjoy them. Unlike before where it was all affection, this time to actually just enjoy it for me. I would still like to keep my side projects going. I would also like to travel and perform because a lot of us do like guesting galas and things. So traveling and performing. But really for me right now, the goal is to just get back the dancing portion of my career because it's almost like I had plan A. Now I did plan B and I'm going back to plan A. So the the YouTube will always be there, the side projects I can keep growing, but the dancing is a limited time. So that for me right now is uh, the big goal. So I would love to ask for advice Mm -hmm. for me specifically from you Yeah, because I am at this phase where I'm, I'm at plan B and I'm loving every second of it and I'm trying to decide if I want to do plan A. So what made you want to go back to plan A? I think because it finally felt like it wasn't required of me because I think for a long time, especially when I just left the company, when I was sick, everybody's like, when are you getting back? When are you getting back? When are you getting back? When are you back? get back on stage? Finally got to a point where people accepted the fact that I was, uh, you know, I'm just going to do you dancing again for me with no expectations because people literally said to me, we did not think you were ever going to get back into a company. My parents said that they said we had kind of resigned to ourselves to the fact that you would never dance again. So this time it was solely for me. And when I didn't have that expectation of everybody else and trying to please, cause I'm a huge people pleaser, unfortunately, that's something I struggle with is trying to say yes to everybody and please everybody. Finally, when I said, you know what, I'm doing this because I want to, because I miss it. That's when it worked. Hmm. Not when I tried to do it for everybody else. Yeah. Wow. That's the best advice I can give on that one. Thank you. I feel like there's a, yeah. a lot of parallels between our stories, at least from like the mental side of things. I've already learned a lot. So thank you. Okay. And then three takeaways. You already mentioned so many. Don't compare yourself. Find yeah. what you're good at. Three takeaways that might be able to apply to the broader audience. The first one, as I said before, is, is everything happens for a reason. Yeah. If I didn't go through all those horrible things, I wouldn't have this story. I wouldn't be joining Miami. If I didn't go through that horrible relationship, I wouldn't be joining Miami and getting back on stage because I probably would have stayed married and been fine with that and just didn't really dance again. So everything happens for a reason. For me also, it was learning that even when I wasn't a dancer, I was still worthy because I think as dancers, and I'm sure every athlete goes through this, you're always judging yourself based on your last performance or how good you look or how many medals you won or how this and that. So when that's taken away from you, as my career was, you know, at first I felt like a complete failure and I felt like I was a nobody, but then the gradual realization of, you know what, I'm still worthy regardless of what I've achieved career-wise. 
because I'm a human being, because I'm a person. A friend always used to say to me, remember, you're a human being, not a human dancing. You know, yeah. you're a person. The fact you're a dancer, wonderful. But you're worthy because you're you, not because you're a ballerina. And then I think also for me was knowing that I could stand up for myself. As I said, I'm a big people pleaser. And trying to say, yeah, I'm going to do this for me. And I'm going to go down this career path when people thought I was crazy. And, you know, I have this dream and stick to the goal and, and stand up for yourself, even if people think you're nuts. You know, if you believe in yourself, you'll succeed. Wow. Last thing. I know that was supposed to be closing, but oh, that's okay. you mentioned this relationship that mm-hmm. was toxic, it sounds like. Very. Mm-hmm. It's hard to realize a toxic relationship when you're in one. Yeah. How are you able to work through that and identify it? You know, whenever you're in a toxic relationship, it's never like, boom, toxic. It's very slow. It's that gaslighting kind of, my father used to say, boiling frog theory. Very slowly, very slowly, till by the time you're done, you think you're the one that's crazy. Hmm. And, you know, he was unfaithful and married all of 10 months. And then I found out that the whole thing was a lie. Wow. So for me, that was another place where getting out of that relationship was realizing I'm still worthy. I'm still valuable. It had nothing to do with me. And it made me a lot stronger because I think before that relationship, I was kind of a, I'll do anything and say anything to please. And yes. And, you know, now I'm like, no, I know what my standards are. I know what I'm looking for. And it's okay to have standards. It's okay to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. And it taught me a lot. It Mm. taught me a lot. Wow. Yeah. Well, some pretty tough things have happened to you, Catherine. But what's very, very, very cool about you is you've made it through the other side and you're better for it and you're helping other people do the same and making it through whatever tough things they're going through. So thank you for oh, that. Thank you. Thank you. For oh, that. my pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed this. I can't wait to see you do ballet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Come anytime. And I'd love to teach you and Sean on a video. I think that would be great. Let's make it happen. That would be That's so much fun. Blast. Let's do it. All Let's right. do it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Andrew. If you haven't yet, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps the show out. And um, I love having a new audience. I love hearing what you guys think. And I love having you come back every single week.